You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Hey church, uh, I'm Jake, the associate minister here at Hill City Church. I oversee our life groups and our worship, and uh, today I am actually preaching. Uh, so get out your, your blankets and your pillows. Uh, we're going to be in for a nice snoozer, a little nap here. Um, unless you're driving, please don't close your eyes while you're driving. But actually, uh, today's passage is really anything but a snoozer. It is a dramatic scene in the life of Jesus the night before he is crucified. That's when all this stuff that we're going to be talking about is taking place. Uh, And in this passage, we're going to find out exactly what it is that Jesus calls us to be and to do uh, as his disciples. What ought to be the defining characteristic of who we are as Christians? Now, we've been in a series the last several weeks called Called Out. Uh, Learning to be the people that God has called us to be and do what he has called us to do. And really, our passage today is going to cover both those things. It sums up both those things so well, really in one word. And we're going to get to that word in a minute here. But if you think over the last year and the state of our world over the last year, which I know we're trying to not think about, trying to forget, but if you were to think about the state of our world in the last year, What is one word that you would use to sum it up? What is one word that you would use to describe this last year? Uh, Maybe for you that one word is isolation, or better put, loneliness. Uh, I don't know about you, but those first few weeks of shutdown a year ago, uh, man, that made me feel a little bit depressed. I'm a people person. I love to be around people. And then to go from seeing everybody to nobody, I was like, I'm feeling down. I'm feeling that loneliness. And the unfortunate part for us as a society is COVID didn't just cause that, it accentuated it. Uh, In 2017 and 2018, the U.S. Surgeon General declared an epidemic of loneliness. We are in an epidemic of loneliness. The U.K., uh, around that same time, appointed a minister of loneliness. And so before there was a pandemic, there was already an epidemic We've been lonely for a long time, and maybe that's how you would describe uh, this last year. Uh, Maybe for you the word is selfishness. You'd sum up this last year in the word selfishness. Now, on the one hand, we've seen humanity, we've seen the church, we've seen people come together in the most beautiful ways to help and to serve each other. But then we've also seen the extremes of selfishness, haven't we? Uh, I almost forgot about this, but as I was thinking of examples of this over the last year, A year ago, when you went to the grocery store and you're looking for something, you couldn't find it. What was that? It was teepee, right? You're going down the aisles. You can't even find the one ply, which is like basically sandpaper, right? You can't even find the good, that stuff, let alone the good stuff, like that sweet, sweet Charmin. Nowhere to be found, right? Because everybody was hoarding it. They're being selfish. The funny part is like around other parts of the world, like that wasn't an issue. That's just our issue because we were selfish. And that's one of many examples of just uh, examples of selfishness over this last year. So maybe you'd sum up this last year in the word selfishness. Maybe for you, you'd look over this last year and you'd think, man, anger. Anger is really what defines this last year. Everywhere you go, people are angry. And that anger has turned into absolute hatred. It's even turned into violence. It's even turned into murder, into killing. 
Um, John Tyson, uh, in his book, beautiful little book called The Beautiful Resistance. Uh, super good read, highly recommend. It's called The Joy of Conviction in a Culture of Compromise. Uh, really good stuff. But he says this about hatred. He says, hatred is a universal failing. Uh, if, if someone represents a social or political or religious viewpoint that we strongly agree with, we hate. If someone hurts or betrays us, we hate. If we feel threatened, we hate. If we are treated unjustly, we hate. If someone rejects our love, our love can ominously invert and we hate. And our world uh, over the last year has been in a state of hatred. It's been in a state of anger, in a state of loneliness and isolation and division. And so in such a state of things, what sets Christians apart? What ought to set followers of Jesus apart from such things? Man, in such a state of the world, how will they know we're Christians? By joining in? By going along with the world? By contributing to the anger and the hatred and the division and the loneliness like we have at times? How will they know we follow Jesus? Will it be by our bumper stickers or our Jesus visit? Is that how they'll know we are Christians? Right? Like, I wonder how many times, like, people have been cut off in traffic by a car that has a Jesus fish, and they're like, yeah, I'm not going to become a Christian now. Uh, or I've seen that, that bumper sticker, like, my boss is a Jewish carpenter, and I'm like, man, you should probably call your boss and have him teach you how to drive. Um, are they going to know that we're Christians by our bumper stickers? Probably not. Are they going to know we are Christians by our social media presence and influence? Are they going to know that we are Christians by our great arguments on social media? You know, oh, this person thinks Christianity is stupid, so I'm going to make them look stupid. Is that really how they're going to know we are Christians? Are they going to know we are Christians by our intelligence, by our education, by our morals, by our family values? Are they going to know we follow Jesus because of our politics and our political affiliations? Are they going to know that we follow Jesus by our righteousness or more properly, our self-righteousness, how good we want people to think we are. And how are they going to know? How are they going to know that we follow Jesus? Well, in our passage today, Jesus tells us that the world will know that we follow him by something very specific and unique that we are called to do by him. And so you can open up your Bibles now uh, to open, open them up to John chapter 13. This is where we're going to be today. Before we get to our specific section, I want to just um, give you a little bit of the context because we're jumping into the middle of the Gospel of John. Uh, in the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John, that's actually covered three years of Jesus's ministry, like a long time condensed into 12 chapters. And then uh, where we're at today, starting in chapter 13 through 17, over those five chapters, it covers one night. It covers just a Thursday night. It is the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. He is knowingly going to his death in a matter of hours. And this is what the Apostle John writes about him. Verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And can you get into the mind of Jesus for just a second? He's going to his death 
Like in a matter of hours, he's going to be flogged. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed. And what is he thinking about? Is he thinking selfishly about himself? No. He's thinking about how much he loves his disciples. And in doing so, he loves them to the very end. That's that's who Jesus is. And he always stands in such stark contrast to the world and to the way that we would probably do things. And he loves them to the very end. And really that sets the stage, that love that Jesus has for his disciples. That really sets the stage for what Jesus is going to command of us, uh, to mandate to us in our passage today. So skip down uh, to verses 31 through 32 if you have your Bibles with you, uh, it says, Jesus says this, I want to say this, uh, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Okay, a lot of, uh, a lot of glory going on here. Let's break this down for just a second. So at this point in the Passover meal on this Thursday night, um, Judas, he now leaves. Jesus says, hey, go do what you're going to do. Uh, the other disciples think, oh, is he maybe going to go give money to the poor or something? No, he's going to betray Jesus. He's going to go collect his coins and say, hey, here's where Jesus is. Sell him out, literally. Uh, and he's going to have uh, Jesus arrested. And so Judas leaves. And you have the rest of the disciples and you have Jesus there. And then Jesus starts talking about his glorification. He says, it's time for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Uh, The Son of Man being himself. And then he says, by doing so, uh, he's going to glorify God and then God's going to glorify him. And then there's like this reciprocal glory just going around and around between the Son and the Father. But how does Jesus glorify God? And how does God glorify Jesus in this moment? Where, where is this glory? Robert Mounts in Expositor's Bible Commentary says this money quote, I wanted to share it with you. Uh, he says, it is one of the great theological insights of John's gospel that the glory of God is seen most clearly in the cross. God is love and his glory is what most vividly displays this love. Thus the cross, the ultimate expression of God's love is the focus of God's glory. And so Jesus is about to head to the cross in just a matter of hours on this Thursday night. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be um, sentenced. And then in the morning, he's going to be crucified, right? And it is on that cross that is the place where God's glory and his love are most evidently displayed for all the world to see. The cross is this epicenter of love and glory. And the cross is really the greatest example of what Jesus is actually going to be calling us to do here in a moment. But wrapped up in this glorification, you you have Jesus going to the cross, but then he's also going to be resurrected three days later, and then he's going to ascend uh, to heaven. He's going to be with uh, the Father. And so Jesus, knowing that he only has uh, just a matter of hours left before he goes to the cross, uh, he begins this kind of farewell address. He gives his disciples some parting words. Uh, And so in in verse 33, pick up your text once again. It says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You'll seek me, just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you. 
Uh, where I am going, you cannot come. <clears throat> and so Jesus says, listen, I'm going away. I'm going away and you, and you can't come with me, at least right now. And the disciples were later, they're like, what? What was Jesus talking about? He's, he's leaving? Like, Jesus, we've been following you for like three years. Where, where are you going? We want to go where you're going, <laughs> right? But Jesus knows that he's going to the cross. Jesus knows that he's going to be resurrected. And then Jesus knows that he's going to ascend to heaven where he will prepare a place for them. Uh, at the beginning of the chapter, it said he's going back to God, to be with God. Uh, he's going to heaven and to prepare a place for them is right in the next few verses in chapter 14. And so they will be together once again. But Jesus knows that right now we only have a few hours together. They don't quite understand that, but he knows that. And so this is, he knows that every single moment right now counts. Every single word matters. And there's a lot of words that happen between John 13 and John 17 that Jesus says with his uh, disciples. And so with the moments that he has left with them, what does he need to say? Like what is of the utmost importance that he needs to share with his disciples? Well, that's where we get to this very important command from Jesus. Open up your text again uh, in 35, 34, excuse me. Uh, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And so what is so important on this night that Jesus needs to get out, that he needs to say to his disciples as he bids them adieu in his farewell address. He says, you want to follow me? One word, love. Love one another. That's what following Jesus is all about. It can, it can be really summed up in that one word, love, right? Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? You're not supposed to hate yourself, by the way. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another, right? From disciple to disciple, from brother and sister to Christ, brother and sister to Christ, Christian to Christian, love one another. Really, it's all summed up in that one word. And now Jesus says that he has a new commandment to give them, right? Like, hold up, Jesus. Don't you know that uh, the command to love has already been given quite a few times before you said it right here. In fact, in Leviticus 19, 18, uh, it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that command was given to the people of Israel by God over a millennium before this, before Jesus said, I give you a new command to love one another, right? It's like, wait a second. Matthew 22, Jesus himself reiterates this commands, these commands from the Old Testament. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's like, hold up, Jesus. Do you not remember what you said there in Matthew 22, right? Do you not remember what you said about loving God and loving one another? So how is this command new? Well, it's not new in the sense that it's never been spoken before, but it is new in the way that Jesus redefines love, what love really is. Uh, Directly before our passage, um, Jesus shows them this love. Because Jesus says, right, um, you are to love one another. How? As I have loved you. 
in the same way that I have loved you. Look at how Jesus loves his disciples. John 13, 3 through 5 and 12 through 15, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put out, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. That's what Jesus says this type of love really is. It's humbly loving one another by stooping down, um, you know, getting the towel, really, getting the towel and wiping, washing the disciples' feet, right? Loving them in this way. And in the first century, like washing the disciples' feet, that would have just blown the minds of the disciples. Why? Because in the first century, only the lowest servant in the household would have done this task, right? This is not a task for a rabbi. This is not a task for the Messiah, the Son of God. No, this is a task for the lowest person in the household. In fact, it was said that not even a Jewish servant would wash the feet of another Jewish person. Only the lowest Gentile slave, only the lowest Gentile servant in the house would do this. That's how demeaning of a task this was. And yet Jesus humbly does this selflessly, sacrificially for his disciples. He washes their feet as his Messiah, as their Messiah, as their King, as their Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to show them is that uh, this is the new way to love. This is the new commandment. This is the new love, the new standard for love. This is how Jesus redefines it. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you in the same way as I have loved you. Man, that is that's a tall order, right? Jesus loves them in this way that astounds them as he washes their feet. And then he loves them and he loves you and I as he goes to the cross the next morning. It's a tall command. And that, that redefinition of love, agape love, it was countercultural then as they're watching Jesus wash their feet like, what are you doing? And it's still countercultural today. Uh, again, John Tyson in that book, he says love Love has become a surface level word conveying almost nothing. I love Fridays. I love cookies. I love my wife. I love that show. I love God, right? Love use for all those uh, things. Our culture has a wide range of instances where the word love is acceptable. We love almost everything that we feel positive about, just as we hate everything that carries even an ounce of negativity. We've taken a rich, nuanced word and we've flattened it beyond recognition. But there is a deeper meaning to the word love, a truer meaning. Agape is a term that Christians used to redefine love. It carries the idea of others-centered, sacrificial care. It is deep love. It is costly love. 
It is the love that God has showed for us in Christ. That's the type of agape love that Jesus calls us to, that he shows us and exemplifies to the disciples that we ought to love one another in this way. And that's the type of love that flies in the face of our culture, that flies in the face of our society, this type of absolutely selfless, sacrificial love, this new love uh, that Jesus shows us. It isn't showy. It's not flashy. It's not sexy. It's not Instagram worthy, right? It's humble. It's behind the scenes, it's sacrificial, it's selfless, it's centered on others. That is the new command, to love. To love one another as Jesus has loved us. Now here's the issue, it's a major major issue. We can't just will this type of love into existence, can we? Sometimes we try so hard, like we know, okay, I want to do this, Jesus. Like, I want to do this. I know that I need to do this. You command this, right? But I don't know how to get this type of agape love. I don't know how to give it. Uh, I'm not very good at it, right? So oftentimes our, our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak when it comes to this command to love. And so what do we do? What do we do? If you have a hard time loving people in this way, this, this type of selfless, sacrificial love, then, then what do we do? Well, the key also lies in the second half of this command, love one another as I have loved you. Emphasis on that last part, I have loved you. You know that Jesus loves you, right? Like it's it's the song that, that we sing over our daughter every single night. Jesus loves you. Man, God loves you. Our love for one another, where does it come from? It stems from abiding in the love of Jesus, which Jesus talks about two chapters later in John 15, abiding in him and in his love. That's where our love for one another comes from. Our love for one another overflows out of the love that we ourselves have received from God. Our love for one another is based on and because of the love that we ourselves have received from Jesus Christ himself. That is where we get this love to give to others. Uh, David Benner, in this uh, small little book, Surrender to Love, um, lovely little book, regardless of what you've come to believe, he says, regardless of what you've come to believe about God based on your life experience, the truth is that when God thinks of you, love swells in his heart and a smile comes to his face. God bursts with love for humans. He's far from being emotionally uninvolved with his creation. God's bias towards us is strong, persistent, positive. The Christian God chooses to be known as love. And that love pervades every aspect of God's relationship with us. And God loves you. It pervades every aspect of his relationship with you as one of his disciples, as one of his followers, as one of his sons and his daughters. He loves you. And he doesn't just love you with this type of love that's cultural, right? That's just kind of touchy-feely. That's just about the positive things, right? No, God loves you through the thick and the thin. He loves you endlessly. He loves you sacrificially. He loves you with this type of agape love that Jesus shows us. Jesus says, you want to know what the Father is like? Look at me. And when we look at Jesus, we see this selfless, uh, sacrificial type of agape love. That is how much God loves you. 
And some of you are hearing that for the very first time today. And if you are, man, I want you to to open your heart to God and to receive that. This could be the first day that you invite Jesus into your life as your leader, as your forgiver. And you can pray and ask God to come into your life, uh, to, to have Jesus lead your life and to forgive your sins and to commit your life to him and experience this love on a continual basis for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity, really. And for those of you who've been following Jesus for a long time, man, this, what the call to us is to abide in Jesus' love here, to experience it day in and day out, to set aside that time for Jesus, thinking about him, um, being with him, praying, and receiving this love that you might go out, that you might go out and love one another. And that is the call uh, to us as followers of Jesus. But now notice something about this verse. Notice something that's, It's obvious, but it's also obviously forgotten by Christians many times. This is a commandment. It's a commandment. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a nice idea. This isn't optional. This is a command. This is something that we have to do, that we are called, called out to do. And we don't always want to do it. We don't always do it well, but we're commanded and we're called to do it. (laughs) That's the truth of it. Now, Jesus actually shows us that uh, there's a surprising result that occurs when we do it, when we actually live out this command to love each other in this new way. Uh, Pick up your text one last time, uh, John 13, 35. Here's the result. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I also love the way that the NLT, the New Living Translation, uh, puts this. Uh, It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And and in Romans 5, 8, really that's the same language that's used. And God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is gospel. You don't have to question God's love. No, he already proved it through the cross. And really, when we love one another, it proves to the world that we are disciples of Jesus, right? So the surprising result of our mutual affection and love for one another is that the world will know we follow Jesus. They'll know we are Christians by our love. And maybe that statement right there is uh, bringing up some memories for some of you who grew up in church, and you know that old hymn, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. And I'm thinking about that growing up in church, singing that song. I'm like, why is this the most depressing song? Like, it's in a minor key. Like, every single chord is a minor. I'm like, are we going to a funeral, or are we singing about love, right? Either way, the lyrics are great, based straight on Scripture. Uh, And it's true. They'll know we're Christians by our love. Now, notice this, though. Notice the last two words in this verse. They'll know you're Christians by your love for one another, for one another. The recipient of this love is very specific, Jesus says. It's actually the way that we love each other, the way that we love Christian to Christian, brother and sister in Christ, to brother and sister in Christ, disciple to disciple. That's how they'll know we follow Jesus. Now, when I look at that, I think, Hold up, Jesus. I think you got this maybe a little bit backwards, right? Don't you you mean they'll know that we follow you because of our love for them? Not one another, right? Like our love for them? 
It's like, well, yeah, that too. Like Jesus says, uh, love your enemies, right? Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. But specifically here, he says, they'll know by your love for one another. Now, why does loving one another prove to the world that we follow Jesus? Like, why is that the indicator? Why is that the proof? Because real, authentic, genuine Christian community that actually experiences the agape love from God and lives it out by loving one another in this new way, in this agape way. That is something that is so attractive to the world and unlike anything the world has ever seen. Uh, In fact, in the early church, in um, the third century, uh, the early church father, Tertullian, this is what he writes about the Christian community, about agape love. He says, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that leads many to put a brand on us. Only look, they say, see how they love one another. See how they are ready even to die for one another. And that has been the truth about Christianity, the truth of Christian community and what God has called us to from the very beginning. See, only look, see how they love one another. That ought to be what the world is saying about us right here and now today, not just you know, in the third century, but they ought to be saying that about us today by the way that we love one another. Are we actually doing it? That's the type of love that sets Christian community apart from the world. That's the type of love that proves to the world Jesus is reigning. He is alive and his disciples experience his love and they love one another. How attractive to the world is that? And I want to read to you this, this, prayer, um, this translation from the NLT one more time. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And really that's our main point, our big idea, our big takeaway from today. If you are a disciple, prove it by your love. If you're a disciple, prove it by your love. Prove it to the world that you're a disciple by the way that you love each other, by the way that you love one another. Now, here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you some examples of this that I have seen at our church time and time again. I wanna brag on the people of Hill City for just a moment. Now, I wanna you know, caveat that, like we're not perfect. Uh, I'm absolutely not perfect at all. We don't have it all together, but in many ways, um, the agape love of Christ is present here and seen here uh, within the people of God at Hill City Church. Uh, so here's some examples. I'm gonna keep things anonymous, um, but I just wanna share with you some of these uh, that are inspiring to me. And these are just off like the top of my head that I wrote down that I wanna read to you. Uh, I know there's many more. Uh, a few summers ago, some ladies in our church knew that one of our college students needed a car. They pulled together their money, they surprised them with a car. It was like, <laughs> so incredible. I love that. Uh, a women's group brought meals and checked in every day on a person in our church who had had surgery uh, and um, was immobile, and they went and helped them out uh, every day, brought meals to them. A life group, a different life group, bought a car for a different college student. Uh, that's literally happened several times now. No. If you're a college student, you go here, like lower your expectations. That doesn't happen every single time, 
But for some reason, it has happened multiple times here at Hill City. It's like amazing to me. Uh, a couple generously gifts a vacation to several other people in our church. I love that. Uh, a family anonymously bought groceries for a person in need, dropped it off their doorstep. A life group helped one of their members uh, to pay rent. A life group gave uh, nice furniture to a person who just moved here into an empty house. Uh, many life groups have helped their members move for sure, time and time again. That's a selfless, sacrificial act, right? A, lo- a life group has helped a person re-roof their house. A life group went and visited some of the elderly and those in our church who are sick. Uh, individuals pooled their money to anonymously pay for someone's medical bills. Uh, people from our church have brought snacks each week to BSU's Inner Varsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, lastly, several volunteers to come in every single week to change the trashes, to scrub the toilets, to clean the building for the sake of everyone who comes here on a Sunday to worship. There's so many people in our church that are absolutely practicing this agape love, living out and obeying this command to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And it astounds me. It's beautiful. Like I'm blown away from by it. And I myself have experienced this from you. I myself have experienced this uh, from the people of Hill City since day one. I want to share with you a few of my experiences. When I first came here to help launch Hill City Church with uh, Josh in 2018, I came over in June. And a family and a life group uh, heard that I needed a computer. And they pulled together $500 to give me so that I could have a computer for work. And I was just like, I don't even know these people. Who are these people? And they're just doing this for me. Like, ah, it's so selfless, so sacrificial, literally. Uh, Another example, uh, a family in our church uh, has paid for us pastors and our families to go out to a nice dinner uh, around Christmas. Uh, Just super generous. Um, Another example, we had our baby, uh, it's our first kid. We had a baby in June and my wife put together a meal train. Uh, And the majority of the people who signed up for this meal train are from our church, right? Which is so cool. Like some some of the people that uh, delivered us meals to our house, uh, they're from our church. It was literally the first time I met them. They're like, hey, new to your church, Uh, signed up for this meal train. I'm like, I haven't even met you yet. And you're bringing me a meal. Like, wow, that is incredible. Uh, One of my friends uh, was signing up for the meal train. And uh, they're like, who is this? Who's this Emily girl? Like she's signed up like every single week, sometimes multiple times a week to bring you guys a meal. I'm like, yeah, you know, she's in our life group. She's awesome. Uh, Another example, a life group uh, um, paid for Sarah and I to go to dinner one night and watched our child. I was like, wow, that's incredibly nice. Uh, Another guy in our church has loaned me his bike. He knows that uh, I love mountain biking so much. And uh, I was in between bikes at the beginning of the summer or the spring. And he's like, you know what? Just take my bike for the time being. Uh, and he, he took uh, this bike. He put new brakes on it. And um, he tuned it up himself. And he brought it over to my house and dropped it off in my garage. And I'm like, that is like so selfless, right? Uh, that is agape love. Um, last week, one of our, uh, we, or sorry, I had an appointment. My wife also had an appointment that happened to overlap. And we're like, uh-oh, what do we do with our baby, right? And uh, we called up our friends, Josh and Shana, the Branhams, uh, lead pastor here. And we're like, hey, could you kind of emergency just babysit for us for like an hour, watch, watch our daughter? 
And they're like, oh yeah, totally bring her over. And like they washed her, they fed her, they changed her. And uh, she loved it. She loved being over there and hanging out with them. But that's like truly selfless. That's like them sacrificing their time, their energy uh, to watch our daughter for an hour. And that's yet another example. Another example, uh, lastly, uh, is that one of uh, my wife and I for the last uh, several weeks have now started to drop off our daughter in uh, the nursery uh, down here in this room, in the nursery, uh, and so we could go to services together. And uh, like we, we go there and, and we go into the nursery and we drop off our daughter and sometimes uh, she's been crying and she's been fussy and like they just take her right from us. Like they've fed her, they've changed her, she slept in their arms, we go to pick her up, she's in such a good mood. And like to me as a new parent, like that is such agape love shown towards like my wife and I and to the other parents uh, who uh, have dropped their kids off like that. That's such selfless um, agape love. And so I'm personally so thankful for our church. And like I said, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We don't have it all together. But agape love is present here in this place. It's present here among uh, this people. And from what I can tell, it is attracting our neighborhoods. It's attracting our city, collectively along with the other churches around here. It's attracting people to the gospel. It's attracting people to Jesus. Our love for one another is proving to the immediate surrounding context, to the surrounding world, that something is different about us. And that something different is the agape love of God. So where do we go from here? What do we do? Let me give you a few short practices to implement this week. Number one, love in small, ordinary ways. So often we think that, okay, this agape love, we have to do the most life-changing event. We have to do something that is huge. We have to pull all this money together. We got to do something that is big. That's how we agape love. But in reality, what did Jesus do? Took off his robe, stooped down. He washed his disciples' feet, right? He took an everyday, ordinary task, and he used it to show agape love. And the same can be, can be true of you. What everyday, ordinary, simple task can you use to show someone this agape love? Uh, Mother Teresa quote. You always got to love a Mother Teresa quote. She says, we cannot do great things, but we can do small things with great love. We can do small things with great love. So what are the small things that you can do with great love this week? Number two, love by listening. You know, most of the examples I've given uh, today, they're practical, they're tangible. They're doing this for somebody, doing that for somebody, right? Uh, And we see that in the text. I mean, Jesus does uh, do a tangible act of love by serving them. And then he goes to the cross, right? Tangibly serving us um, by going to the cross. So yes, love is, agape love is absolutely tangible. It is serving, but it is also relational. It is highly relational. That is uh, the agape love of God that he shows towards us. It's highly relational. And so loving someone can be as simple as getting together with them. I'm asking them about their lives and, and sincerely and genuinely listening to them. Listening being a lost art in our generation. We do not listen to each other well these days. And so this is something that you can do 
to agape love one another. And so this week, invite somebody out for coffee. Invite somebody over to your home. Love them and listen to them. Number three, sign up to serve. I already mentioned how there's people who love our kids, love our toddlers, uh, love the elementary students who meet in here every single week, uh, love those who are in our high school and our, min- in our middle school ministries and beyond. Like when you sign up to serve, you are signing up to agape love one another. And we have a lot of ministry opportunities here. So sign up to serve today. Number four, join a life group. Like so many of those examples that I gave are from life groups because life groups, you're in each other's lives. Like every single week uh, you are with each other and you're loving each other and you're forming relationships. And then these tangible expressions of agape love just begin to form, just begin to happen. And this is the place where you go, you're sharing your needs. You're sharing, oh man, you know, I'm a little low like on uh, rent this month, uh, on my bills. Um, I'm a little low on groceries or like I need a ride to the airport. Like these type of things just, just kind of show up, right? Because they show up in um, the context of relationship and sharing with each other. And then you just see these little needs getting fulfilled uh, all the time. People tangibly uh, loving each other in life groups. And so I'd, I'd encourage you today, join a life group. And lastly, um, the last practice, one word, stay. That's the last practice, stay. You know, Christian community is honestly amazing and unlike anything else in the world, but it isn't always easy. It takes work, doesn't it? Because Christianity is a family. We are family. That's one of our core values here. And you know how family goes, right? They're the family. They're the people that you love the most, but they're also the people that you butt heads with the most, right? That just happens. That's just how family goes. But so often these days, in our day and age, people are just like, you know what? Instead of dealing with the disagreement, instead of dealing with the conflict, I'm just going to leave. It's easier to leave. I'm just going to, especially with the millennial and Gen Z generation, I'm just going to ghost away, right? And you leave. But instead of leaving, what if you chose to stay and to reconcile and to work through even these little disagreements, even these big disagreements? What if you chose to stay? In our day and age, that's one of the best ways to love because love stays. Uh, As we conclude here, you might have noticed this whole time I've been wearing this bright yellow shirt uh, that says on it, love one another. Uh, This is from uh, one of my friends. He runs, he's in my life group. He runs a Christian apparel company. And uh, I saw that he put this shirt out a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh, that's like perfect timing. And uh, he wrote a little post about it on Instagram. And I just wanted to read this to you. He said, love one another. It's easy to nitpick and argue about the small things. But I think the the most important question we have to ask ourselves is, how can we better love? Sometimes getting back to the basics is necessary. You know, today's passage, today's message, it's not that hard to understand. Really, it's the basics of Christianity. Love one another. And so church, let's get back to the basics. Church, let's love one another as Christ has loved us. Let's let our love for one another prove to the world that we follow Jesus. And may they say of us, like they said of those Christians in Tertullian's day, only look, they say, see how they love 
one another. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.